Hello and welcome to another episode of Full Send. Obviously, Ryan French is not Christina Kim. We have a special guest host because uh, CK is traveling, but we want to do an instant reaction to the Ryder Cup. I'm sitting outside the cavernous press room here at Whistling Straits, still buzzing from uh, quite a dominant U.S. victory, and we have the buzz of golf carts in the background. So we're just <laughs> the great ones play through adversity, Ryan. So <laughs> thanks for doing this. Uh, tell me how much of the, of the cup you got to watch and where you were. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I just saw a tweet that you wrote a story, you're doing videos, and now you're doing podcasts. Like, I, I'm so, like, I'm so jealous of the fact that you can write a story in two hours as <laughs> I like struggle through a story in an hour. But uh, yeah, I watched most of it uh, Friday, most of it Saturday. I'm actually on the road doing a story in Texas, so missed part of today, but but yeah. caught the back half. Yeah, well, today was was just academic. I mean, the only the only drama was going to be which American had the honor of clinching the cup, and of course, it ended the most um, uh, let down you could possibly imagine with Colin Morikawa like missing a putt, getting the the half point that put the U.S. over the top. But in some ways, it was fitting because it, it was not a dramatic Ryder Cup. There was there was not one moment or um, uh, or sort of epic uh putt or a shot that defined it i mean it was just start to finish non-stop u.s dominance i mean as as just kind of essentially a super fan watching home what was your takeaway yeah i mean i tweeted about it this morning you know, it's like i wish it was closer not that i didn't want the u.s to win i wanted the u.s to win but it's like i mean there's no drama whatsoever going into today it's boring like what what i love about the Ryder cup is like Obviously, the Justin Leonard putt, but like big putts in big situation where the Ryder Cup's on the line is literally Friday morning on. There was never any of that feel. And, yeah. and it stinks. It just stinks. Like, I mean, you've talked about it many times. The Americans are just too good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a Sunday with no drama is just like not, not great for me. I know. There was a brief moment Saturday afternoon, and Stricker talked about it in the Champions Press Conference, where... Uh, Europe was winning three out of four matches, and they were fairly close in, in the fourth one. And if they could have swept the session, that would have gotten them within two points, and it would today would have felt much different. But of course, the U.S. fought back, got got two points, and that, that was really enough. Um, because I mean, realistically, Europe had to be leading by two or three going into Sunday because the U.S. team was so much deeper when it came to singles. So, I mean, this thing was pretty much over after after the first day. But um, I. You know, it's it's funny that the Ryder Cup is as popular as it is, given it's been nothing but blowouts this this century. Other than you know, Medina was of course epic with, it, with an all time great Sunday. Even if you were a U.S. fan, you had to love the drama. But there really have, have not been too many nail biters. Uh, in in you know, the '90s had some great ones. You started with the War by Shore, and it was bookended by the Battle of Brookline, um, and you had Choke Hill in the middle. I mean, you gotta love these names, right? We like, but um. It's it's just funny that that we are all still so invested in the Ryder Cup, but I think, um, you know, obviously the narrative's flipped. U.S. has won two out of three, and they've got this you know significantly younger than than the European team. And I will say, I was happy that both Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter won their singles matches today. It didn't mean anything to the outcome, but it was like they deserve that. Like they they've been the heartbeat of those of you know decade and a half of domination, and both of them probably that was the last Ryder Cup match they'll ever play. And you know, it's part of this larger story with, 
Stenson's not here. Rose isn't here. Like this, this whole generation that, that was the backbone of the European team, and they really they're struggling for their identity. I, I mean, is there any reason to believe that Europe can 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 change things around? No, I mean, and it, you know, <laughs> uh, it was interesting on Friday. I thought like, I think I might like Ian Poulter, and like <laughs> if you're my age and you grow up, you just like hate Ian Poulter, the fist pounding and the screams and. All that stuff, and on Friday I was like, "Oh no, I think I like Ian Poulter." And like <laughs> the guy's just been so good in Ryder Cups and so good, and it's kind of like, I mean, obviously he's, I mean, he's just old, and I mean, but to your point, Alan, that you said all week, it there's a scary outlook for the Ryder Cup because I just, unless the like the twins can be amazing. And Guido can come and like really take off, and Robert McIntyre. I just don't see a future where, where the, where the uh, you know the Europeans have a shot. Assuming that like three Americans don't get the yips, I just I, it is it's a tough outlook. Uh, an entire continent turns its lonely eyes to Guido. <laughs> that's their only hope. <laughs> that's r- that's rough. I mean, that's rough. <laughs> You know, obviously, one of the in a weird way, one of the highlights of the day was Roy Roy McIlroy's emotional uh, interview after he won a singles match, and he basically apologized for his crappy play all week. And maybe that's a turning point for Roy because if Rory had played like John Rahm and he had put say three or three and a half points on the board in the first two days, then this is a different Ryder Cup. But I mean, of course, that's a big ask. But he's certainly capable of it. I mean, there's nothing to say he couldn't do it. Um, but if if you're if you're Europe, you need Rom and you need Rory to absolutely dominate, and then you needed everybody else to play out of their minds. And really, that just didn't happen. Other, other than Rom, and he, he sort of ran out of gas today. But I mean, he was a towering figure the first the first two days. And I mean, out there watching him, he he had the presence that you know Brooks Kepka aspires to, just a total fucking badass. And on yeah. both teams, were afraid of him. Like you, you. Because when when you're out there walking inside the ropes, there's a lot of there's players because either they're the guys who got sat, or their matches have ended and and they run out to the last few holes. And Rom was doing stuff out there, and you could see the players looking at each other on both teams like, oh my god! It was I haven't seen that look of sort of awe slash veneration since Peak Tiger. Um, and I mean, it was it was a scary performance by Rom, but in the end, not nearly enough. So, um, yeah, it's. I, Stricker threw out a stat I hadn't heard, which is the average world ranking of this U.S. team was 8.9 across 12 guys. Yeah. That, that's unreal. I mean, and, and I think part of that is not only 8.9, but none of them are like maybe DJ a little bit, but he's still young. Like none of them are on the back end of their career. It's not like like if Tiger was in the top 10 right now, you'd be like, okay, he does. He's not going to get to Paris. But like none of those guys are getting worse in the next two years. Like none of them. I know. Like it just. I mean, outside of like someone doing like what Rory has struggled through in the last like X amount of years, all of those guys are going to get better. And you look at the European team, and you're like, who gets better? Rom can get a little better, but he's number one in the world. He can't carry the whole team the whole year. But uh, yeah, Rory's yeah. going to have to turn it around in a big way if if they have a chance. Sidebar. Rory is one of my favorite people in all of sports. Just like he's awesome. That interview yeah. sums it up. The guy is honest and emotional and says it when he knows he's going to get shit. It's uh, he's a, I mean, one of my favorite people in sports. 
Well, two of the most endearing moments of his career are when he was at rock bottom, you know, yeah. uh, t- today and, and Portrush when he missed the cut. And um, it's true. That's what we love about Rory. He's so human. It's raw and it's real. Um, but God, it's just mystifying to see him play on Friday and Saturday with, with no fire and, and no emotion. And just like he was just looked like he was going through the motions like it was, you know, Thursday morning at the Greater Hartford Open or something. And, you know, to lose the first five holes on Friday morning, it just sent a little shudder through the whole, you know, Team Europe side. Like, because he's with Poulter, too. Like, those are theoretically, you know, two of their emotional leaders, right? And and they're obviously they're veterans. And, um, I mean, I just, I, I honestly think that Roy needs to take a year off of golf and just go on a sabbatical. And he can, you know, he, he can he can go find the, some lonely guy on a mountaintop and, 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 and figure things out. Because he just looks like he's... He just doesn't want to be there a lot of the time. And, you know, I get it. He's like a very old 32. I mean, there's a lot of tread on those tires. He's basically been a tour pro since he was 15. And so he's more like a 40-year-old in, in golf years or maybe early 40s. And But it's, it's dispiriting to uh, – and then, of course, you know, today he, he had a little – he had the fight back, and he played great, and, you know, he beat Xander, who was, who was undefeated. So, like, that's what's so maddening about Rory is it's there. It's, it's always close to the surface, but he just can't bring it out when he has to. Um, yeah, if he has that on Friday, I mean, he's just such a leader of that team. Uh, I mean, that final interview sums it up, how much he cares. But he has that on Friday, and it's, you know, 2-2 two to two on Friday morning instead of 3-1. to one. Like, what does that mean to the rest of the week? And it's just like, it, it's, it's maddening that the guy is, like you said, I mean, he's awesome today. And I, I don't know why, I don't know why he can't, you know. I, a million guess, people have dissected why not, but for some yeah. reason it's just not happening. I know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, parallels in golf. Like, you know, Ernie Els had two U.S. Opens by the time he was 27, and then he went through this, like, five-year slump in what should have been his prime. And then he won another U.S. Open, and then, you know, 10 years after that he won a British Open. So I, I guess that gives hope for Rory. He can find it. You know, he's now going on eight-plus eight years without yeah, but- a major. but. I mean, I Ernie was no Ernie was no Rory. I mean, Ernie's very good and was very good back then. But like, I mean, Rory was like in a class by himself for a long time. I mean, up there with Tiger and those guys, it's just like, I, I, I just don't know how he hasn't won a major in X amount of years, whatever it is. And you, you know, uh, I, 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 Padraig Harrington, who of course poor guy i mean he just he didn't have the horses like you can you can second guess a few little decisions like oh he shouldn't have played paul casey on saturday morning like who cares it's a, there's nothing patty could have done like to change this outcome whatsoever but um he's you know he's such a smart thoughtful guy and he i remember him saying like 2014 you know rory could win a dozen majors but he better do it fast because there's this whole generation coming he's like i and Pudrick's like i've seen him at the range and i've seen him at the uh, on track, man, and they're all going to be hitting at 350 like Rory is, and he's got an advantage right now, but that advantage is going to disappear. And like he called it, you know, like Rory's driver was kind of like like Seve's wedge, and then all of a sudden everybody got a 60 degree, and that advantage was reduced dramatically that Seve had. And you know, Rory, generational driver of the golf ball, but all of a sudden there's 20, 30, 40 guys who can do that now, and um, and so that's part of it. And you know. I've, you know, Tita Green is, is that was his moneymaker. He's never a, he's always a good to okay putter, but uh, so it, it it was interesting. I still remember Patty saying that, and you know he was he, he called it eight years ago. But um, nevertheless, Roy's still good enough to get it done. He's just not getting it done. So 
And, and on, on, the, on the captain's picks, I mean, on being a captain, I mean, it's just such a look into – it's just blind luck. I mean, what did Stricker do, right? Like, I mean, nothing. Like, the guys picked their own partners. Yeah. I, I'm not like yeah. – I, I mean, Patty just got a bad year. Like, yeah. they're, they're, like he could have had, like, any metrics you ever wanted. They, like, he was going to lose, best case scenario, like 12 to, you know, eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just blind luck when you get picked. Like he's gonna be like, oh, he's a terrible captain. Dude, yeah. The, the people average the top nine in the world just had yeah. no shot. I don't think anyone's really hating on on Patty. I think I think it's so clear that the team was overmatched. That I mean, Vince Lombardi could have sprung up from his grave here in Wisconsin and walked into the team room for Europe, and it wasn't gonna make a damn bit of difference. But um, you know what Stricker did though, you have to give him a little credit because you know he was he was one of people forget this he was one of tom watson's vice captains at glen eagles and uh, strickers lived through all of that and this is one of the themes of my story that just posted on you know firepitcollective.com is you know this victory was was really you know seven years in the making um, i mean it goes back i was in that tent on sunday night in scotland when when mickelson went after tom watson and it was brutal and he pretty much ruined the reputation of a great champion and um and watson's never been back to a Ryder cup since i mean all the past captains now are including the festivities and it's this very warm collegial feeling watson's out like there's a lot of hard feelings do you, still do you, um, do you think alan that uh, although he may like obviously probably shouldn't have gone about it in that way that it was important oh yeah the one million percent it had to be that way because if they'd done it in private in their annual you know debriefing there would not have been this intense scrutiny and pressure to change. So, I mean, Phil is a Machiavellian character. Like, he never opens his mouth without an agenda. And that was completely calculated. And he knew what he was doing. And he made the decision it was worth it because he was tired of losing Ryder Cups. And uh, in some ways, you got to give Phil Mickelson credit because the whole culture changed. And what Europe had done forever was they were always, they groomed their captains. And so you'd be a vice captain for a number of years before you got the, the top job. And they passed on this institutional knowledge and this this cohesion, um, whereas every two years the U.S. was just making it up willy-nilly. A new guy would come in. He didn't know what the other guys did. There was very little overlap in, in the, you know, they'd bring in their buddies, you know, like Hal Sutton bringing in Jackie Burke, who's like 80 years old, yeah. didn't know the players, and was talking shit the whole time. Like, that was an absolute fail, but that's what happened. These guys would just bring in their own cronies, and, um, and of course, the PGA – of America president would change every two years and they got to help pick the captain. Like that's how Watson got the job. It was this guy, Ted Bishop who ran a driving range and like Tom Watson was a zero. He's like, Hey, I want to hang out with Tom Watson. I'll make him captain. And Watson had no connection to the modern tour player and was, was old school to his detriment. And so, you know, Stricker was, was part of that, the worst night in Ryder cup history for the U S side, but he was, and then he's been, he's been in, in a leadership role ever since at the president's cup as a vice captain. And he's helped, transform the culture where the players have a voice the um the captains are you know there's a line of secession that's very clear and there's, there's it's very collaborative and so you know once the Ryder cup week starts as you say they, they, it's largely out of control of the captains but stricker did was part of this culture change that that allowed team usa to flourish so i give him i give him some credit and of course he he ran the President's Cup team that also had a, a record victory. So there's there's something in his light touch, and uh, he doesn't try too hard. Like, And he said, 
you know, there's always been this Ryder Cup tradition. You bring in George W. Bush, you bring in Michael Jordan for all these raw, raw speeches. And, and Stricker's like, we don't need that. Like, these guys know what's at stake. I want them to go to bed and get the rest and just be in their routine. And, like, it takes a certain um, courage of your convictions to, like, go against the grain and not not do what everyone else has done. And, and Stricker, you know, I think he allowed – he created room for the players to breathe a little bit and, and just let them be and, and, and treat it something like a regular golf tournament where – they could be a little bit on their in the routine, and of course, that was all it took. Because, as noted a few times, the, the power and the the, uh, the, the 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 advantage of talent that the U.S. had was was decisive. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think the fact that he's out there still at least a few times a year, like he's in touch with these guys. Like it's not, you know, you go back to Watson. Like Watson had no idea what these guys do. So, like yeah. the fact that he plays a few tour events still, and like can be around these guys and understand what they want to do and yeah it's just and, uh. and Mickelson you know he has he has a role in this because he was vice captain and you know he could have been really pissy not you know he's the guy won the PGA championship and he get picked the Ryder Cup team and that was that was the toughest call that Stricker had to make but it was an important one because it really decisively ended the Tiger Phil years which is two plus decades of underachieving um but to Phil's credit, he embraced the role of vice captain. And you talk about being current. I mean, he's out there every week with these guys, and he's playing these Tuesday money games. And so, there's never been a vice captain who's is is, is plugged into the current golf scene as Mickelson. And, and uh, Stricker made him Bryson DeChambeau's babysitter. And Phil shadowed his every move. And I asked Bryson, and he said, "You you know how important was Phil to you this week?" He said, "Monumental. He kept me laughing, kept me relaxed. He helped me strategize. He was always there for me when when I needed it." And um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a cool bit of, it's a straight line from, from that really sad, awkward press conference in Glen Eagles to this victory and to the building of this, of this team. And, um, you know, who's going to be the next U S captain. I mean, it, it could be Zach Johnson. who has been a vice captain now a bunch of times in a row. Um, obviously if Phil or tiger wants the job, they'll get it. Uh, it might be one run too soon. I think Phil would love Beth page. Um, in 25, that would be that would be fitting. And Tiger, you know, he's he's always an enigma. But um, you know, that's the other thing. Like, there's no more um, sort of rallying and inspirational figures as captains than Tiger, Tiger Woods, and Phil Mickelson. And the U.S. has that to look forward to. In addition to this talent, I mean, uh, you know, Lee Westwood will be a good captain, and Luke Donald will be a good captain. But they don't quite stir the the blood of golfers the way Tiger and Phil do. So it's just just one more advantage the U.S. has. Um, Do you think ZJ's next? I mean, ZJ is just like such a, I don't know. It's just like such a, I mean, it's a terrible captaincy between, like it's going to go Stricker, kill them, ZJ, and then Phil Tiger. Like, (laughs) oh, man, we're going to forget about poor Zach in about 30 seconds. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, he could be like the... um the American McGinley, you know, Paul McGinley was a great captain because he he was super smart and analytical and he didn't try and be something that he's not. And I, that that's kind of Zach Johnson in a nutshell. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, winning in winning in Europe is, is tough. And the U.S. has now shown that it can it can hold serve. But if this team is really going to be transformational and they're really going to dominate this Ryder Cup the way I think they can, then Italy in 23 is monumental. They, they got to get a scalp over there. It's been forever uh, since the U.S. won in Europe. And um, so, you know, maybe, maybe they'll talk Tiger or Phil into doing it and they just bring in the big guns, and that would, that would be phenomenal. But if um, for whatever reason 
the sequencing, um, I think Zach is next in line. You know, he's paid his dues, and um, there's there's not another super obvious candidate. So uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll get that announcement relatively soon. But um, you know, and of course, Europe does have Poulter. We'll see if he's ready. He's only, he's only 45. He might want to keep playing. But I, I, how would how about Poulter versus Phil at Beth Page? That's pretty sweet. <laughs> that would be epic. that would be sweet. I mean, how good? I mean, uh, Poulter is going to be such. I would, I would love him here because, like, you know, he's going to be out there fist pumping and like chest bumping. I, I mean, it's so perfect in New York because it would just make for such great TV. Because he, he loves that role. You know, he loves it. You know, he wants to be captain over here. That, I think that's. Where, I think that's right. You know, yeah, I mean, where everyone hates him, and you know. We'll get yeah. back like those old, like we hate him, and he'll be out there chest bumping people. I know. I mean, I mean those New Yorkers want to kill him. I know. Nobody hates uh, Henrik Stenson or, or Luke Donald <laughs> or, or Lee Westwood, <laughs> but yeah, no, Poulter, yeah. Poulter has to be a Beth Page. God, that would be way too much fun. So oh I think of you, Ryan, as like as like the super fan, you know, of golf, and you're you're sitting there watching on TV. Like, what are your other emotional reactions to the players? Like, um, did what Bryson did this week with his good play and kind of his fun energy, did did he change your opinion at all of him? I mean, uh, that's a good question. I think that Bryson is just like, I, you know, I read Kevin's uh, article. I think he just wants to be loved so bad, but he just can't help himself. Like the putter, you know, laying down on the first hole is like three feet. He just, he will do something. Like Americans obviously love him tonight he will not be able to help himself and at the Sanderson or wherever he plays next he will do something that will quickly turn it back around uh, I thought he had a great week obviously but I just don't think Bryson can help himself I think eventually and I don't think he does it purposefully I just think he's so immature that he just doesn't understand I, yeah. I mean again he, he doesn't understand why people love him so uh, he was a great this week but he's I mean, it, it won't be long. Tron Carter tweeted it today. It's like, it won't be long until we hate him again. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, did you watch the the press conferences? Yeah. 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 I mean, so, I wish everyone could get drunk. I mean, like, what a great press conference. Like, oh, it was, it was I, last. I talk about it all the I talk about it all the time, Alan. It's like the golf that I cover, I'm so lucky that all the players I talk to just tell me the truth. They have no one to answer to. There's no PC. There's no, like, players just say, like, hey, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And, like, you talk to a lot of tough golfers who have million-dollar contracts and one word out of place and, bam, that's gone and those kind of things. That is, I would love to not have a, not only get drunk and have a fun conference like that, but get drunk and have like an honest conversation about like yeah. what stinks and what sucks and what doesn't. So I thought both of them were awesome. Yeah. I wish we could get that truth serum more often. It's true. Well, but, but the point I was going to make is Bryson was like, oh, I can't drink much. I got the long drive contest coming up. It's like, dude, like, uh, so he can't help himself. He'll he can't help go himself. over like, there and like, yeah. go ahead, have fun. You just won the Ryder cup. Like it, it sells so much. Um, Someone told me recently who was like was once very close to Bryson. It was in his inner circle that that Bryson was a virgin well into his, his professional golf career. <laughs> it's like yeah, that checks out. <laughs> like that yeah. definitely checks out. One hundred percent. Yeah. So what about um, what about Brooks Kepka? Like how 
you know, you watching at home, how, what did you take from Brooks this week? You know, I'm going to say something like, so Brooks, Chase Kevka has been a good friend of mine. Yeah. And Brooks, like, has this public image. And behind the scenes, he's, like, helpful and helpful with donations and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know why. I guess he wants to play this villain role. Like, just take the ruling and just be done with it. I just don't. I, yeah. I don't like somehow he's cut. Like, <laughs> I mean, here's Brooks Koepka in a nutshell. Is in a, in a in a fight with Bryson DeChambeau. He's come out as the bad guy, and that is really <laughs> hard to do. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that whole <laughs> like, it's like how do you how in that argument do you come out as the bad guy? It's in it's insane. Like that's tough. Right. You literally have to work to come out of the of that dispute as the bad guy. Well said. And that whole ruling was so stupid. Like, on a steep downhill lie, you cannot take, like, a 12-inch divot. Like, the physics doesn't allow it. This club could never travel the way he was trying to convince him. And the replays showed that. It was just, it was, like, nonsensical. And then, like, you know. But I don't, I don't think he believes. I don't know what. Like, he wants to, like, he just creates this somehow. Like, he yeah, it's like, like he I wanted... think if you took him out of context, he doesn't really believe that he should have got a ruling. But he yeah. just, like, has to play this, like, tough guy villain role. And I, I, again, there's no other way to say it, but in a dispute with Bryson DeChambeau, he has come out the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, even in the press conference, you know, someone served him up a softball, like, hey, Brooks, you know, your comments before the Ryder Cup, you didn't sound, you know, whatever. Has your opinion changed? And he was just, like, all snarly and a dick about it. And then it was like it was like, like someone farted in church. Like, the whole room went quiet. Like, like <laughs> you know what, in that scenario, say, you know what? I, maybe I didn't I didn't say it the way I want to say it. Like I fucking love the Ryder Cup. This was great. This is the best week yeah. of my life. And yeah. Like, yeah, Brooks. Instead, he's just yeah. Just gotta... say yeah. Just say <laughs> fuck it. We won nineteen to nine and drink your milk ultra. And like people would love you if he shotgunned a beer right there. He would be like the. Lo- I mean, people want to love him, and they just like he, he I, just I think can, they, he's. I think they did, but I'm not sure they do anymore. Um, you yeah, know, it's it's gotten tiresome. What about um, so? Speaking of shotgunning beers, how, what about like Justin Thomas? What was your take on him as watching at home? I, I have no problem. I mean, like, I, I think we just we want to be mad, right? Like, <laughs> I I mean, they're like twenty whatever. How old Justin is? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's shotgunning a beer at the biggest golf event, and just like in Wisconsin. I, if you're mad about that, like this internet is going to be a scary place, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, so not not even the beers because I mean that was funny. They, they were sitting that afternoon, you know, him and burgers. Yeah, so yeah. Who cares? But you know, he's out there. Like the first couple of days, he was his his play was pretty scratchy for a lot of yeah, the, the partner play. But he's still out there pumping his fist and shouting and stomping his feet. It's like, dude, you're too down, and you just hit like four balls into the lake. Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. I I feel like you kind of got to earn that, and he hadn't quite earned it. He he did come through, um, and and finish the week pretty yeah, strong. I, the Ryder the Ryder Cup is full of overreactions, and that's like. I mean Lowry, same thing. I love Shane Lowry, yeah. but dude, you're not nine to three. Like maybe we, <laughs> maybe we should just like hold off the big putt on eighteen to have a match. You know, yeah. throwing putters and the caddy <laughs> throwing the pin down. Like, like I don't really care. I'm not worried about like the yeah. The no, I thought green can be fixed. It's just like it's a, all right, chill, dude. I mean, yeah, no, that was cool. I mean, for you know, for Lowry, who's been trying to make the Ryder Cup team for a long time, yeah. and. It was complicated because uh, he's he's almost best friends with Harrington, and Harrington 
second guess myself about picking him because people thought it'd be like nepotism and favoritism. And in fact, the guy won the British Open. Like, come on, he's yeah. he's a good player. And that may have also explained why why Lowry didn't play, you know sat in the um, both on on Friday and Saturday. I mean, when he played, he he was spirited out there. He was fun and he was making birdies. Like so. Again, you can second guess Patty that he should have played Shane Larry more, but it wouldn't have mattered. But uh, no, I, 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 I always the Europeans just seem to love the Ryder Cup so much more. Like when they lose, like Rory's interview, Shane's reaction, the the press conference this afternoon. It's like I wonder what the American press conference would have looked like and interviews would have looked like if the roles had been reversed. Right? Like, it, yeah, I, I've, I, I've been there so many I times. Just don't, yeah, I just feel it, like we don't have that emotion. That like those guys, I mean, a dude's crying. He's like one of the best in the world at one point. It's like, yeah. man, this sucks. This is the most important event in golf. And I just yeah. don't think we would see it if the roles were reversed. Obviously, it's easy to have a great press conference when you just hammered everybody. Yeah. No, I mean, in, in the European, both both Paul Casey and Lee Westwood got all choked up too, talking about how much it meant to them. And, uh, you know, Poulter's eyes were all watery like it. There, there's extra emotion because this really is the end of an era, and I think to some degree that's what what, what Rory was was feeling. Like his entire Ryder Cup career, career, he's played alongside Poulter and alongside Westwood, and for the most part Casey. And it's like he want everyone wanted to send those guys off. Like this is they were this was their last stand. It really was, and um, you know it hurts. He'll be playing with Guido next next year. <laughs> he's, got, he's got Guido and the, the Danish twins. Like, yeah, poor Rory. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, at least it was memorable. Like the worst thing would have been a, um, I don't know, seventeen or sixteen to thirteen. Like they won. It was kind of close, but not really. Like if, if something had to happen here that that would be defining, and it was it was the ass kicking, and it was the dominance, and as you said. The lack of tension was a bummer. Um, today was just a coronation, and, and we all missed that that anxiety. Like I've been, I've been at Ryder Cups where my stomach was hurting from the tension, and I just had to write the story. I wasn't out there playing, but like uh, we missed that. But th- this was this was a meaningful win. And um, you know, I was looking back at great Ryder Cup teams. The 1981, 11 of the 12 guys were major championship winners. You had Nicholas, Tom Watson. Lee Buck Trevino, Johnny Miller, Ben Crenshaw, Larry Nelson. I mean, these were some badass mofos. And they were playing against, you know, kind of a diminished European side. This was pre-Sevy. You know, it was it was basically a bunch of guys named Nigel. And and that U.S. team scored 18.5 points. And, uh, you know, it was probably the greatest U.S. Ryder Cup team ever. And, and of course, this, this one just hit 19, which... Um, in a whole different era where, where the European tour is much stronger and uh, they're drawn from a lot more, a lot more feeder systems. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where, you know, we get 10, 12, 14, 16 years down the road. Like if this is this team as good as we think it is, I, mean, I think the answer is yes. But um, what, what else did you, um, did you enjoy about what's this? What's your week? take? What, what's your take on, on whistling straights? I love, cause I've played yeah. this and I'll give my opinion after I know yeah. your opinion. Well, but- I mean, it's the most ridiculous golf course in the world. Like, it's—I I saw so many spectators go down. <laughs> like, it's horrible to walk if you're a, if you're a fan, and you know, it's it's just totally crazy. Um, and I, I've played it, and I never want to play it again. But all that said, it was a super fun venue for for this event because 
you have to hit a lot of hero shots, and that's what you want in match play. And if when when guys would miss fairways, uh, there was there was a lot of drama. Where's your ball going to wind up? And there was some super awkward recoveries. I mean, Jordan Spieth almost got pitched into the lake trying to play that one off the seventeen yeah. over the green monster. Like, of course, you don't want Jordan Spieth to break his leg trying to you know hit a hit a greenside chip. Like that's whistling straight to a nutshell. Like we almost lost him. So it, the course makes no fucking sense, but. Um, at the same time, it, it looks it's amazing on TV. I mean, it's so scenic yeah. and it's so dramatic. So, um, you know, I, I thought it worked. But uh, what, what is your what are your feelings? I mean, I hate that place. I it's <laughs> like I played it. I played it. If I would have paid for it, I would have been really mad. But I played with three pros, so I played from the back tees. I mean, it's just it's insanely hard yeah. and insanely stupid. Uh, I mean, I just picked up my ball most of the time yeah, so it's yeah. like yeah i i mean obviously it's pros to your point it does create a lot like 18 creates like you're either on the green or you're in the water and creates some drama there but yeah i, I mean just, when you when you stand out there on 17 t which was obviously a very important moment in many matches like it, it looks like a painting it's like the most awe-inspiring looking hole i mean the, the green looks like it's a mile away and it's it's on the precipice of of you know the end of the world and it's like so incredibly dramatic but yeah i mean when i played it it was the wind was howling we were hitting drivers not like everyone made a 10 and we just left so it's it's ridiculous but actually my my round my caddy was saying that and i said like you know i'm i'm not a I'm like an okay golfer. I'm like like an eight, um, and it was it was way too hard for me. I said, "What what happens when you get like twenty handicappers out here?" He said, "Well, sometimes we'll have a little bet between the caddies who can get their their player to hit into more bunkers." He's like, "We had we had a couple of Japanese women who came out here, and um, I won the bet. It was fifty six. I got I got my girl into fifty six bunkers, and I felt great about that. <laughs> I was like, that is so messed yeah. up. But I mean, you know. I I say all the time about uh, the people that I played with paid for a caddy, and I always say like. I found 18 ways for a caddy to say, like, you're okay, even though I wasn't okay. Like, he would be like, oh, you can play it from over there, or we'll, we'll find it. And I'm like, dude, you can just say it was crap. Like, we're, <laughs> we're in the dunes again. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, well, I don't know. It's, it's, been, um, it's, been, it's been a week. Did you, um... where, do you rank the, where do you rank this in your – you've been to 11, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. Where, where does it rank in – importance and and obviously there's many different factors that you'd have to like where would you rank it in the, the ones you've been to whether it's like wow that was the most dominant or yeah I mean, well there was that i mean there was that stretch in like oh four oh six when europe was winning by this kind of margin you know there was uh, europe's had some dominant teams but um I really feel like this is going to be remembered as a transformational Ryder cup for the u.s and you know they Two years into the, the the task force era, after after the big blow up at Glen Eagles, you know they they kicked butt at Hazeltine, but they still they still they were still sort of shackled to the old. You know, you go to to Paris, and and Jim Furyk couldn't, he just didn't have the backbone to shut down Tiger and Phil. You know, Tiger was exhausted after winning the Tour Championship. His body wasn't working. He still put him out there, you know, three times in team play. Just gave Europe three points. Should have should never have even picked Phil. For um, for that team on that golf course, but he did, and Phil gifted them two points, and um, so there was still we were kind of still between generations, and that that accounted for what happened in Paris, along with a very quirky golf course and just like the the magic alchemy of Mollywood, you know, like 
Francesco Molinari didn't even make this team. Tommy Fleetwood looked like a dead man walking, went 0-2 and 1. Like that, and they dominated that Ryder Cup. So Par- I, I count Paris as like an aberration and a fluke almost. But they still had to redeem that. They had to, they had to end the Mickelson era, um, and they had to bring in all all this fresh blood and all these rookies. So um, I mean, this is this is going to I think going to rank up there with the War by the Shore. Uh, not as an artistic triumph, but as as a meaningful victory that really changed things. And um, you know, I I wrote I've, obviously some of your some of the people listening to know about this column I wrote back in seventeen, predicting that the U.S. was going to dominate the Ryder Cup for a long time, and um, you know, Paris was a big steaming turd. But the prediction was a long ranged prediction, and it's more true now than it's ever been. So this is an important one for sure. And um, as we as we've touched on, Europe has. A, they have a, a lot of big, tough questions, and you know, there's there's no answer. It's not like a national team where they could they could sort of develop their own players. I mean, the European Ryder Cup team is at the mercy of who comes through the pipeline, and um, you know, they can help nurture them, and and they do often pair Ryder Cuppers together in Ryder Cup years, so guys can play together and get that comfort level, and they do everything they can to kind of instill that legendary camaraderie, but. I mean, when you looked, you looked at Harrington, he had these must-win matches, and he's sending out, you know, Bern Wiesberger um, and <laughs> whomever against major championship winners, uh, you know, gold medalists, FedEx Cup champions. Like, um, it just wasn't a fair fight. So, um, obviously, it's kind of like when you're when you're when you're playing. Uh, um, like like horse or something you got to justify it when, like they got to justify this in italy and um i th- i think they will and and then the u.s is off and running i mean just look out but uh so yeah this is this is again it wasn't like an exciting or even a fun rider cup but it was monumentally important yeah i mean do you feel like this i mean i i mean we've talked about it but like you feel like this is could be the start of like a, the most dominant run in rider in the rider cup do you think i mean i just don't yeah. see like I mean, I was just thinking about it. Like Tom McKibben is that is a year, you know eighteen year old that like has been an amateur star his whole life and finally turned pro. Or not finally, he's eighteen, but like just dominated at first stage. Like I mean, but that's twenty twenty five at the earliest. There's not like any like yeah. young stars that are like gonna that I see changing this around outside of like Americans losing their form. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean Paris was seven out of nine for Europe, and you know that's basically two decades of domination. And I, I think I think the U.S. could do that. I mean, I really do. They're already at two out of three. So could they take you know four out of the next five or five of the next next six for sure? I mean, like even like a guy like Scotty Scheffler who had to scratch and claw his way onto the team, like he was awesome. Like he kicked John Rom's ass today. And, you know, he was an afterthought. You look at the, the core group of major championship winners and, um, you know, Dustin Johnson was 37. He's old. You know, he's called himself grandpa. He's the oldest guy. The average age of the team Europe was like almost 36. Like, just tells you all you need to know right there. So, um, and above and beyond, you know, the U.S. has often had talent, but there is a cohesion and there's a buy-in and there's just a whole different spirit about it. And there's there's this, 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 this sea change in, in how the teams are – are put together how the leadership uh, is passed down from cup to cup and so yeah i i think i think i think that um that, that it's just 
I think it's going to be a lot of boring Sundays. Unfortunately, I really do. And I hope, the, you know, I hope the Ryder Cup can conserve can survive that because Europe domination was different. You know, they were the underdogs and they were the scrappy. And we had Tiger and Phil and you know Jim Fuhrer, like three all-time leading money winners on the PGA Tour, or whatever. And so it created this energy. Like when the underdog wins, that's fun. And then the hand wringing and the finger pointing and the recriminations on the U.S. that was fun too. And um, but you know it's it's different yeah, when in twenty when, in twenty twenty nine when we want if like say we continue this dominance like no one's going to care about the Ryder yeah. Cup after we go like nineteen and eleven nineteen and twelve yeah like no one's gonna no one's gonna go like oh I can't wait for twenty twenty nine yeah no Everybody's it's true gonna be like well it's gonna be another nineteen winner. Yeah, Europe dominating was in some ways great for the Ryder Cup. U.S. dominating, not so great. So I actually do have some long-range concerns, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that the European Tour, which is kept afloat financially by the Ryder Cup, there must be large-scale panic in, in Wentworth right now because they're, they're like, damn, like this this is our cash cow. And uh, so, yeah, it's that that's how decisive this win was we are now fretting about the future of the Ryder cup <laughs> it's a little early again they got to win in italy and they got to come back and do it again in beth page and then it's like okay this, this is this is what we thought it was so i mean the irony of you know i, I wrote i wrote that column and everyone's like oh you're big you know american homer it's like i've always rooted for europe it's a better story and like i on Ryder Cup, unlike you, like Ryder Cup week, I travel on no passport. I'm an impartial observer. And, in fact, Jordan Spieth once put that on me in a press conference. He's like, you're American, aren't you? I said, not this week. Like, I'm here just to write a story. And Europe winning was often the better story. So, um, even I though, think I'm the only, like, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm in the media. I hate to, like, I don't even know what to call myself. So I don't know if come I'm, on, man. You're in the yeah. media. All right. So, like, I think I'm the only American, like, the only one. Everyone roots for Europe. I mean, everybody. I was the only guy who was like, I'm not even going to my grandma's grave this week. <laughs> I, I, had, I had, that's probably why I wanted you to do this podcast. I had mad respect for that. Like, you were, you were so hardcore. It was my, my mom called me and was like, Ryan, I think that's too far. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> She's from Italy. Yeah. She's been dead for 10 years. It's fine. No, that, she I doesn't mean, deserve it. Dude, that that's that right there is what makes the Ryder Cup great. So we we salute you, Ryan. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I mean well, the guy like I criticize the guy who's yelling, get in the bunker, but I'm yeah. the guy who doesn't go to my grandma's grave on that weekend. We get the Ryder well, Cup. There is a difference. I mean, the the fans were they were loud, they were boisterous, they were partisan. That's what you want. There was a little too much of a Yahoo factor where guys were yelling when the Europeans were over the ball, and that's kind of crossing the line. Like I. I don't really care about the other stuff, but when dudes are settling into the shot or they're actually swinging the golf club, like it just reflects poorly on on the American golf fan and the great state of Wisconsin and everything else. Like, I'd be happy if we can let that go. And maybe you know Beth Page is going to be a challenge, but um, you know I applaud Jordan Spieth and and other guys, like other American players, were out there like, come on, like they're waving the guy, like clean it up and stuff. And so that that was a little bit of a downer. I could care less about cheering for bad shots. That's I that's mean, fine. That's totally fine. That's fine. That's like that's. I hope the European fans do it when we hit it in the water. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, don't yell and don't yell stupid shit and don't yell on their backswing. Just like I'm yeah. all for like cheering missed putts and all for like no problem. You three putted from ten feet and you lost the hole and we're gonna cheer. Yeah. Well, tough luck, dude. It's yeah. the Ryder Cup. I'm just saying, like, like you said, like, don't write it, don't write a thing, don't yell, like, get in the bunker, all that kind of stuff. Don't yell, yeah. like, personal shit. Just like yeah. go out there and, like, yeah, I'm all for chanting USA as the guy missed a five footer. That's great. 
that's perfect. That's what the writer cup's all about. Just don't yell at his backswing. Yeah, yeah. No, we can agree on that. So anyway, well, I appreciate you making the time to um, making this little cameo. I know you're on assignment, and uh, but this, this was a fun chat. Any, any final thoughts before before we sign off here? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is very surreal. I I am like, I can't believe that I'm on a fucking podcast with Alan Shipman. It's <laughs> it's unreal. Sometimes it just hits me, and I was like so casually like, yeah, we're gonna just do a podcast. I am on a fucking podcast with a guy that I've read my entire adult life, and I send shit to him, and he like edits it. It's this is insane, in fucking insane that, that this is my life. I mean, you, you flatter me, Ryan. Let's believe me, you're a humongous part of what we're doing here. So, and I'm, I'm glad that you you did this podcast because I you, you represent like, uh, like the passionate golf fan, but also you're a huge part of the collective. So I'm, I'm glad we made it happen. So, um, thanks to you guys for listening. Um, there will be a regular full send episode of me and Christina Kim. If you enjoyed this one, uh, by all means, subscribe and and, and and get get involved. And of course, Ryan still has his um, his own podcast any given Monday. So we're uh, these occasional crossovers are fun. I think I think we'll do it more often. Um, but anyway, thanks y'all for listening. And Ryan, thanks for doing this and uh, signing off from Whistling Straits. <laughs> <laughs>